Welcome to 8 Million, a podcast series that looks at the 8 million metric tons of plastic entering our oceans every year, and what role China plays in addressing this global challenge. 8 Million is produced by Sustainable Asia and its partners China Dialogue and Aya Recording Studio. Previously on 8 Million. We have to look at um, establishing kind of fundamental collection and recycling in, in many of the economies that are currently, um, you know, estimated to be the largest contributors of this plastic. Well, I think the Chinese government have been traveling on a path of thinking about what they want China to be, a vision for China. Hi, this is Marcy Trent Long. I've lived in Hong Kong for the past 20 years and watched the increasing amount of disposable plastic really alter the fabric of our oceans and beaches here. As someone who sails and is an avid open water swimmer, plastic waste has really changed the way I look at quality of life here. And as more of my friends here in Asia are starting to use the ocean as their playground, they too are seeing plastic as an unpleasant, an unnecessary result of our convenience-driven lifestyle. The goal of this podcast series is to reveal the inner workings of plastic waste management in China so that I can make some sense of the impact that China is having on ocean plastic. In the last episode, we saw how rivers play a critical role in transporting plastics into the ocean. We also talked a bit about how the wheels of China's government engine work to enforce new environmental policies. For this episode, we'll move on land to China's waste management process, following the plastic waste to the waterways. I spoke with Mao Da one of China's leading zero-waste advocates and founder of the Nature University in Beijing. He summarized the problem as thus. Rivers are the main source of plastics in the ocean. And in China, the rivers run through the endless countryside, where waste collection is not as prevalent as in the cities. The lack of good collection and processing of plastic waste is the reason why plastic from China ends up in the ocean. While some of the countries struggle more with finding a place to put all their trash, in China the problem is mainly the lack of systems and infrastructure to collect and sort the waste. According to a recent report by McKinsey and Ocean Conservancy called Stemming the Tide, an average of 65% of waste gets collected in cities. But the rural areas lag behind with an astounding 5% collection rate. 95% of rural waste never reaches a treatment center. But that's not to say all is rosy in the cities either, with the growing urban population and a changing lifestyle contributing to what Mao Da calls unprecedented crisis. The World Bank estimates that China generates almost 200 million metric tons of waste every year, 
about the same as the U.S., but much more than India. And China's waste generation is expected to grow 50% faster than the global average. A lot of factors contribute to this phenomenal waste production. Of course, there's the growing population, but the newfound wealth has also led to a changing lifestyle. 那么这一部分的垃圾在中国 Plastic packaging is becoming a larger and larger share of our garbage pile. We now notice new consumption patterns like online shopping and food delivery are increasing our demand for plastic even more. This is what is making China's plastic problem hard to contain. But with all this trash and much more on the horizon, China was still importing millions of tons more trash from developed countries. Container ships full of unprocessed trash would sail into Hong Kong and other ports, leaving their freight for China to sort and recycle. Until January this year, a few months ago, China announced they would institute a ban on imported unprocessed waste, effectively announcing they will no longer be the world's garbage collectors. I asked Mao Da, "Why this sudden decision?" This is part of a series of major environmental policies and government reforms. There are several reasons for this ban. First of all, there have been countless studies on the polluting and harmful effects of the recycling process in China. This had to be dealt with after dragging on for so long. Now that China is transforming and elevating the economy, the value of recycling imported waste is quite low compared to its offsetting negative impacts. So we should see this as part of a larger reform. Another reason is for our international image. The Chinese public sees this import of foreign waste as humiliating. This ban turns the negative international image we had into a more positive image. We are showing developing countries that they don't need to accept the West's pollution anymore. The scope of the import ban is very broad. All waste plastics from non-industrial sources are prohibited. Even though our own plastic recycling industry would like to keep receiving clean plastic bottles, which are very valuable and have a smaller ecological footprint, the fact that the state has banned all, even clean plastics, shows that there are some other considerations at play. I think this ban is a strategic decision to promote the development of domestic waste sorting. We generate more garbage than any other country, so why do we still import waste from abroad to fuel our recycling industry? The reason is simple: China's waste sorting system is lacking. China is generating ever more waste, but the waste sorting system hasn't moved with the times. In China, sorting and recycling is done by the informal sector. This means small businesses or even just families collecting rubbish from a certain area and separating the waste, selling what can be recycled to processing centers. Then these centers sort the waste further and deliver it to recycling plants. Chen Li Wen, a colleague of Mao Da at the Nature University NGO, is describing what's called waste picking. It happens not only in China but all over the developing world. But as China moves into the ranks of the developed world, the central government is changing its approach to waste. Christine Lo, who spoke to us about Chinese 
in environmental plans in our previous episode had this to say. What we see in Hong Kong is the people who have been doing this kind of job are on the whole more elderly. Now, in Hong Kong, what is extraordinary is this um, informal sector, if you look at it for what it is, it's, it's, it's generally older people going around dustbins and collecting stuff over the years. And that informal system somehow has actually managed to extract about 35% of the waste stream for recycling. It is quite extraordinary. Uh, However, you cannot depend on this going forward because the waste sector is changing as education uh, uh, and public awareness increases. Well, we, we want people to be better protected if we're dealing with waste. So it means the costs are going to go up. Also, with digitalization, weight uh, and volumes become very important because every city you have to set targets of what you're going to do with different types of waste. So you need to know. So it's no longer possible in the longer term to rely on this informal sector uh, who probably will find it extremely difficult uh, to do digital recording as well. It's not only the economic reforms that are changing the world of waste picking. Since the economic reforms started 40 years ago, the recycling industry has relied on these private recyclers. It comes from a market demand because the state-owned recycling industries were unable to deal with all the renewable resources. It's a natural process and has been very efficient. But a lot of these waste pickers feel marginalized because they lack the urban resident status, so they are always discriminated against in the city. With no one taking care of the waste, the cities turn to large companies and state-owned enterprises to fill the gap. But these lack motivation and an understanding of the recycling process. I'm not saying these enterprises won't slowly gain the experience and properly fill the gap. But for the moment, we are dealing with an unprecedented crisis. So the central government is forcing change through sweeping legislation. Xi Jinping stated in 2019 that China should be sorting its waste. And voila! A new law by the state council was produced. And by 2020, 46 cities have to achieve a 35% recycling rate for commercial and government sector waste. This includes commercial office buildings, hotels, government buildings, schools, but still does not include household waste. And then there's the question of enforcement. Chen Lei Wen raised some good points on this. Actually, the 35% recycling regulation does not clearly state what they should recycle. This is a big problem. Also, China's garbage statistics are not yet counted accurately, so it will be difficult to measure the 35% recycling because you don't know the base amount of waste for the city, and it is unclear what the recycling waste categories are. 
The waste import ban can allow China to focus internally, but in addition, it puts developed countries on alert to do the same. 既是敲响了警钟，又是提供了一个新的这个呃方式。Looking at the global reaction, especially from environmental protection agencies, this import ban has actually raised the alarm, and not just an alarm. But also a new approach, namely that the exporting of environmental pollution can't be continued. Developed countries cannot solve their own environmental and resource problems through export. This is actually a positive thing. If every developing country would do this, then plastic can be dealt with in an environmentally friendly manner. So this plan helps both developing and developed countries. It can allow developing countries to reject foreign waste and take care of domestic renewable resources, and developed countries can finally face what's been ignored for so long: the insufficient recycling capacity in their own countries. If we can focus on redesigning plastics in an ecological way and develop a circular economy. All countries will benefit from China's decision. Since the introduction of the waste ban, developed countries who relied on this trade are scrambling to find new places to dump their waste. Or otherwise increase the capacity of their recycling industry. In our next episode, we'll look at how we can make recycling more efficient, so we can increase the recycling rates and catch the ball China threw into our court. This podcast was brought to you by Sustainable Asia. Eight million was produced by me, Marcy Trent Long. And the multi-talented Sam Beckemans. We could not have pulled this podcast series together without our amazing audio engineers, Annabeth and Karsten Martins of Aya Recording Studio. Our logo and social media outreach was by Kinsey Long. And special thanks to our voiceover Kian Lee, audio assistant Daniel Sun, and our wonderful partners at China Dialogue, Isabel Hilton, who helped us formulate the idea for the project. Charlotte Middlehurst and Christopher Davy for their editing skills, and Huang Lushan for stepping in with interviews and translation. Share this podcast with your friends and colleagues. Education and collaboration are our best path for creating a sustainable Asia.